Hello, and welcome to another edition of Link to the Cast. I am your party host, Dave Ryan. Mark Robinson is still away on assignment. Joining me once again this week, Brian McNamara. Brian, how are you? You're talking about when I'm absolutely Mark Robinson. <laughs> I don't know what you're saying. I yeah, just suddenly developed a new accent. Your charming British accent is shining oh, through the bogger. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, Brian, we've had a good week. It's been a busy week, but a good week. We've got a, we've got a new shed in the house here. Ooh, we've got a new fridge. Got a pimp couch. We've got a pimp couch, yeah. Brian, let's talk listeners through this. We got this new shed, and the shed is intended kind of half as a shed, your standard kind of hit. That's where tools and the freezer and the tumble dryer goes, but also it doubles up as a smoking area for yourself and Dan, my my two housemates, as I am not a smoker, so I don't kind of have that shit around me. Um, And you were tasked with going out to buy a couch for this new shed. Yes, I was. And the couch you returned with, how did I describe it to you? Your first words were, Pim couch. Yeah. Your next words were, that's definitely a Pim couch. Yeah. And then your third sentence, I think, was, there's no way you're telling me that's not a Pim couch. Yeah, yeah, I, yeah, that's succinct, my reaction. Uh, then my girlfriend, completely unprompted, described it as a Pim couch. Uh, her brother, whom you work with, also described it as a pimp couch. couch. I think pretty much the entire world. Some of my colleagues. The known universe. After the our, our good friend Tom has described it as a pimp couch. Um, so yeah, you bought a white leather couch for a garden shed. <laughs> let me just, listeners, let me just add a bit of context here, right? I bought a white leather 1970s style low kind of slung pimp couch that was 40 fucking euros. Yeah. Down from 70 euros. In a charity shop. In a charity shop. Having been donated by a pimp. <laughs> well, look, apparently, I, I think it looks awesome. It was cheap as fucking chips. Yeah. And they delivered it to our house for a tenner within an hour. Cheap and cheerful. Cheap and cheerful. And styling. Um, in addition to that news, we've also had a good week because we're on iTunes now. Feels legit, doesn't it? And now my name's on the cards too. Link to the cast on iTunes. Yeah, so if you go to your iTunes store, presumably it's on all stores at this point. It was uh, a while getting on the Irish store, which was kind of weird. Uh, But now it's there. So you search Link to the cast. You look for that uh, lovely pixel art um, cover photo by uh, your friend and mine, AMO version 1. And uh, you will find our lovely faces, our lovely voices, and you can hit subscribe there. And most importantly, Brian, anybody within the sound of my voice should go there and give us a five-star rating because that helps with uh, search results and uh, puts us more prominently on the podcast store. And I will, I am a whore for attention. So if everybody can go there, we're also, we've also got a proper for people who kind of get annoyed that we put one episode up, take one episode down. I've, uh, stumped up the cash and we now have a proper SoundCloud channel that has all the episodes that Mark didn't hoard on his laptop before he went to China. Uh, we have them all uploaded now. So I think the only ones missing are the Mega Man episode and Mega the Man. Two- <laughs> Mega Man and the two E three episodes. So um go there, uh, you'll get all the SoundCloud link uh, should be attached to this episode on our Facebook page or on the website link to the cast.wordpress.com. Um so yeah please like subscribe all that kind of good jazz. PR friends. Um, so, with all that kind of uh, preamble out of the way, uh, what have you been playing this week, Brian? I've been playing Mad Max. You've been playing Mad Max. The game that had the audacity, the sheer balls, to come out the same day as Metal Gear Solid Five. Um, well, there's an argument out there that wasn't just too retired not to realise. <laughs> yeah, you... 
critically, it's been a mixed reception for Mad Max so far. Mad Max. Some people like it. IGN, I think, in particular like it. Giant Bomb, in particular, do not like it. Um, where do you fall on that scale? Like, Mad Max is, it's the game that begs you to hate it. <laughs> like, it really, it wants you to not like it. I don't know why. Like, I mean... Okay, pros. Pros, it is goddamn pretty. Yeah. Like, well, well, let's let's go back even further. Yeah. What kind of game is it? Okay, it's what do you do? It's an open-world sandbox game. You are mad. In 2015, an open-world sandbox game. I know, game. shocking. It is... Uh, like, I picked those up for a couple of reasons. It's Mad Max. You have your Max, you have your car, your Magnum Opus... Um, and you drive around the wasteland doing the things that you do in every open world sandbox game. You played Shadows of Mordor, you played this game. But it's got a car instead of a caragor. And yeah. you don't have to catch the car. <laughs> um, like, it's, it draws, you know, there's very little that's properly original in it, but that's not necessarily a bad thing. I mean, good ideas yeah, executed like this, well. This is from the same studio, the Umbrella studio, that brought us Shadows of Mordor and Batman. Mm, Avalanche. Um, so you're talking you're going to have I think it was Avalanche that did Arkham Origins wasn't yeah. it yeah. so you've got the Batman style combat although some people are saying it's too dumbed down yeah I've heard that a lot Yeah, I find that quite good because like me picking up Arkham Asylum uh, not Arkham Asylum Arkham Knight yeah. and you know you've got your just for example you've got your contextual takedowns yeah. where you're Batman you're flying around the place you're in a brawl of a group of dudes and next thing you know pops up on the screen oh press whatever button now to smash this dude's head into an airbend mm. and I'm like oh yes please no no not quick enough shit yeah uh, so it kind of it, what Mad Max doesn't have is that kind of like twitch response combo it does for parries okay but that's it it is you, you hit until you need to parry and then you parry simple as that everything else contextual takedowns they just happen you're beating the shit out of a guy next to a wall. Max will take that guy. You take him up against the wall. You hold down for a finisher. He will smash that guy's head in viscerally and most entertainingly against that wall. But yeah, it's, you know, you unlock, you know, you go to certain points. There are balloons and this is what's the towers in Shadows of Mordor and you look around the map, you see everything there. You collect scrap as the base currency to buy upgrades for Max, upgrades for the car, and you can read their side quests and their main story quests. Uh, pros. Like yeah. pros, huh? Yeah. Pros. It's goddamn pretty. Like, you've a similarity there to Metal Gear. Both have sandstorms in them. Mm. I've seen, I watched you play Metal Gear Solid, I've seen your sandstorms. Yeah. Max's sandstorms are sandstorms. Your sandstorms are fucking shit. They look like they were drawn by a kid with crayon on screen by comparison. Let's let's say that, in fairness, if Mad Max wasn't going to nail the sandstorms, it had no business ever yeah. releasing. Exactly. Whereas, right. like, you know, Metal Gear, it's not all about it's the not, sand. No, it's not, I'm, not, yeah. I'm not saying Metal Gear is shit by comparison, you know, overall, yeah, yeah. Mad Max is, because it doesn't. Yeah. Uh, I'm just saying, like, that's the mark of how good this game looks. Yeah. Um, it's incredibly fun when it lets you do fun things. Yeah. Like, the combat is, even when they send out piles of enemies and that, and you you start to get uh, carpal tunnel syndrome or crap in your hand from mashing square and triangle, still damn fun when you get a sweet takedown, including German suplexes, um, two-footed flying kicks, uh, Ronda Rousey-style arm bars, and you don't have to do anything special for these, you just have to beat a guy until he's ready for a takedown, hit the takedown button, and it'll take over. Um, it's fun driving the car around. Like, the controls... Okay, they're not as good as they should be for a game 
where you know it's all about Mad Max is all about his car, cars. Yeah, his uh, one of the main criticisms Jeff Gersman from Giant Bomb in particular leveled against it was that uh, a car combat game should have good car physics, whereas he equated this to kind of like ubi car physics, like Watch Dogs and Far Cry, where it kind of handles like a cinder block on a uh, on like a greasy slope. Sometimes it depends on what you're trying to do. Yeah. Like, for me, I customise a car that's a bit of a tank. I don't necessarily need to drive very fast. I just fuck shit up by smacking into it. Um, although, as we'll come to, I had issues when I wasn't allowed to do that anymore. Yeah. Um, what else for the pros? Uh, cons, I suppose, we'll move on to then. Um, cons. It doesn't want to let you have fun, or at least it wants you to have fun at pre-approved times. Only. Yeah. Um, like, basic example, you car upgrades, um, they engine upgrades are the main one uh, for me because the size of the engine the more powerful your engine the more shit you can put on your car the bigger the ram the more armor and you're able to carry around and move or and crawl now there's six levels of engine have between v6 and v8 and to get to there's six of each the base one that you get as part of the story missions and then five upgrades for each of them and you don't get v8 until the i think it's the fourth last mission of the story which is a hell of a way into the game. Yeah. Now, you're a man who, in terms of um, side quests and progression and stuff like that, you like to, I wouldn't say necessarily overpower yourself, but you like to have most, if not all, side quests done before you go to complete the game, where, where possible. Like, because the way I approach it is, once you finish the story, the story is the center part of the game. Yeah. After you finish the story, it's over. You know, I mean, I don't see the point in doing it on a shoestring and then unlocking the upgrades afterwards and using your superpowered upgrades to menace base level villains yeah. or enemies knocking around and the big boss you did. Like, yeah, it's exhilarating to do it by the skin of your teeth. I also think it's pretty fun to be well prepared for the fight and have the shiny cool shit to beat them with. Um, but, like, coming in, like, wanting, like, having unlocked major rams, major armor and all that for it and not being able to touch them because don't have the engine can't do the engine because you can't do you have to go to near towards the end of the campaign and then finally get to do that mission and then not being allowed to have my car the way I like it mm-hmm. drive the way I like it uh, being forced to compete in a race and let me tell you if the driving phases weren't that bad or noticeably be bad when I was going around the open wasteland in a race scenario they're fucking dire yeah um and it was just, I took me what, it took me what, like, I had about 12 attempts. Now maybe I just might be shit at the game, but it took me 12 attempts for I had to go off and try and farm out, grind out a couple of different upgrades for handling and top speed, and then come back and try it again. But, yeah, um, for me, I picked up this game, A, because it's Mad Max, B, because Fallout's not out yet, and it's like Fallout Light in a lot of ways. You even, like, it, the comparison, the nod, the cultural pointers for both and pop culture pointers for both are pretty obvious to everyone at this point. So, do I give a recommendation? Um, I, what I would say is, like, because it seems that you would be conflicted, uh, this would be my reading of what you're saying, conflicted about recommending this to all gamers. Yeah. No. So what I would say to you is maybe draw a parallel, finish the sentence, you will enjoy Mad Max if you enjoyed blank. Can you think of anything that... Uh, if someone enjoyed such you and such a game. You would enjoy Mad Max if you enjoy getting hurt for sexual pleasure. Well, <laughs> if that isn't a recommendation, I don't know what is. It's, it's a big thing, but yeah, um, you need a lot of patience. You need to have a lot of patience for grind, uh, and not the sexy kind, for yeah. just 
chugging along and not necessarily having the freedom of an open world game as you'd imagine you would have. Yeah. But incredibly satisfying when they get it right and incredibly fun when they get it right and incredibly pretty all the time. Okay. So you're you're having fun to some extent. I give it a solid six point five pushing a seven. Okay. And it's good moments it's an eight and a half and it's bad moments a four. Okay. So it runs the gamut. It, yeah. It, you understand entirely why there's mixed reviews for it. Yeah, because played. it's a mixed game. Yeah. Um, but yeah. Cool. So I shall move on to what I've been playing this week. If you must. I've been playing a little game, Ryan. I don't know if you've heard of it. This small little release. Metal Gear Solid Five: The Phantom Pain. See, it's not just that you come out and you game, game of the year. Game of the year. It's not just that you come out you talk about this game from a franchise that you love, and it's a great entry, and it's being lauded and bros thrown its feet. It's that you're so fucking smug about it. Oh my god, it's you so come good. Out, oh, oh, no, you made out of her. No, no, Brian. It's not only that it's so good; it's that it's so much better than it should be, right? Brilliant, batshit insane. Yes, right. Okay, so Metal Gear Solid Five. <sighs> Where do you even begin with a game this big? Right. How does the story so, of Metal Gear begin, David? <laughs> <laughs> we could be here for fucking hours. For uh, some information on the story of Metal Gear Solid, excellent opportunity for a plug here, Brian. Go back into our archives and listen to our episode with Jack Lazell talking about trying to explain Metal Gear lore to Mark. That was a fucking fun time. Um, Metal Gear Solid Five. Right. Okay. Fast forward about twenty seconds uh, to avoid spoilers for Ground Zeroes. Basically, it is set nine years after the events of Ground Zeroes. Do you do you not want to spoil it? No, because I'm eventually going to play it. Okay, we won't spoil it, so. No, just do it. I have my fingers in my ears. Okay? I will just say it has, it has been set nine years after the events of Ground Zeroes. We'll leave it at that. You can take your fingers out of your ear now. Okay. I didn't realise you were going to actually play it. Eventually. <laughs> right, okay. So it's set nine years after the events of Ground Zeroes. Basically, instead of... One of the things that probably wards a lot of people off Metal Gear and you would be among those, is stealth. It's one of the things. It's not the only thing, probably, but stealth is the main thing. The whole series touts itself as tactical espionage action. And I understand that uh, not being the biggest fan of stealth myself, and having gone through these Metal Gear games at this point, just because I love what a crazy batshit roller coaster ride they are, uh, I understand the frustration with stealth, where there's pretty much like the fail state, that if you weren't able to be stealthy in levels, that was it, you weren't going to survive them. Whereas now in Metal Gear Solid Five, which again, 2015, it's an open world sandbox game. No! Yeah. Um, shit you can pretty much do it whatever way you want, right? So if you wanted to go in under cover of darkness, Brian, in your sneaking suit, go around the place, trank everybody in the face, fulton people out and complete your mission objectives that way, you are more than entitled to do that. However, if you want to ride into town on horseback with a rocket launcher, fire it straight in people's faces, order an airstrike as you bound out of town with the plans in your pack or whatever, you could do that as well. Um, the only kind of, uh, I wouldn't even, I'd hasten to call it a penalty, is that you just won't get the elusive S rank. Um, like, I've done missions where I've gotten caught, like, I always try, because of the kind of my love of Metal Gear tradition, I always try at first to do stealth. If that doesn't work out, I'm more than willing to crack out the assault rifle and leave bodies in my wake. Is it not trickier though? Because I've I've watched you so, kind of look, I've watched you do this and I've watched you. Now no, I'm not going to be poking fun of but not yeah. fail at stealth. Yeah, and get caught. I've seen you watch yeah. over sort of get caught, and it looks like shit goes down pretty fast. And yeah. it, it, 
gets harder. Yeah, you see, the problem is um, the way I do my loadout, I make it difficult on myself by having a loadout that really only facilitates you if you're doing stealth. So I don't have a rocket launcher or a big heavy assault rifle on me. I have like my trank dart, I have my bionic arm, I have a light assault rifle, I have a sniper rifle, and that's it. So what you're saying right? is maybe you play this game like an idiot. No, I don't because like I like I yes I like a challenge you see, uh, so when shit goes down like I don't have the big heavy assault rifle usually to fucking wreck shit or the rocket launcher to destroy communications to stop them bringing in a backup unit, but at the same time like I have done that before and it makes things sometimes a hell of a lot easier. Like there's an early mission where you have to eliminate a Spetsnaz command uh, commander, and he's meeting with a couple of other guys inside a house, and I tried to stealth all the way along, and literally. At the last door, I was like, okay, they're in this building, because I had tagged him. So he's in this building. I pushed open the door. I was crouching along the ground. I pushed open the door, looked inside. All three of them were facing me. So I was spotted. Shit went down. I just lobbed a grenade into the room and ran away. Everything blew up. I just took out the assault rifle, killed everybody else, got out of there, and I still got an A ranking. So what you're so, saying is the reason this game doesn't look so appealing to me when I watch it over the shoulder is because you're playing it wrong. <laughs> no, I'm playing it. Well, I'm playing it the way I want to play it, and that's the beauty of it is that you can play it whatever way you want. Um, the other kind of major aspect to it, and this kind of the thing that I think um, I was saying to you might get its claws into you, are the quote unquote RPG elements of Metal Gear Solid Five. For those of you who played Metal Gear Solid Peace Walker. Um, it's very like that in as much as you have this base you've seen my base mother base it's called mm -hmm. that you're slowly building throughout the game every time you Fulton somebody in the field which is the hilarious uh, balloon that rap. zooms them off into the sky um, they go to mother base and they become a member of staff and based on their ranking because you can scout them with your scope based on whatever they're ranked at you can assign them to your R&D team to your intel team to your combat team all sorts of things and then you can upgrade mother base or if you're Dave, you can just have them hang around and then physically assault them lots. Yeah, yeah, yeah. For, for giggles. Yeah, because when you're running around Mother Base, they just go, uh, I'd like to train with you, sir. So you can throw them onto the ground or trank them or whatever, and they won't do anything. But um, no, to, like, to keep it sort of brief, it's unlike any Metal Gear game there's ever been, because the gameplay is magnificent. It's fucking easy. It's intuitive. Um, the kind of one of the things that, Mark has always kind of thrown at Metal Gear is that the control scheme is fucking abnormally difficult on the old games. Yeah, like I, like, I, I started playing Ground Zero and I'm about, I'm about halfway through Ground Zeroes and uh, I'm not really not enjoying... Like, I'm yeah. enjoying the story, I'm enjoying the graphics, I'm enjoying aspects of the gameplay, I am really not fucking enjoying the control. I'll put it this way, in some respects, Ground Zeroes is a good lead into Phantom Pain, but in a lot of respects, it's not. See, I've heard a lot of people say that, oh, yeah, okay, it's it's not great, Ground Zero's, it's not great, it, it, they improve on it for yeah, Phantom Pain. A lot. Those things you didn't like, trust me when I say you, uh, they, they're not there. A lot of the yeah. problem about, uh, well, some of the problem about um, Ground Zero's is that you basically just get dumped into that area. Um, there's no chance for you to approach it whatever way you want, there's no chance for you to change a loadout, there's no kind of uh, context for it all. Um, obviously that's not a problem in Phantom Pain because the game is so spaced out You like that that's not an issue uh, I also found it a lot easier to play um, Like I took me a long time to beat Ground Zeroes whereas with Phantom Pain uh, I find it much easier to adapt to situations and new kind of uh, game mechanics that are introduced to me along um, 
Yeah, it's kind of like the only ways I would say that Ground Zeroes is a really good uh, lead-in to Phantom Pain is in terms of kind of some story elements, because there are story elements from Ground Zeroes that lead into Phantom Pain. And then other than that, really, the main thing is the kind of the graphical fidelity, that it looks as pretty as Phantom Pain does. Well, Phantom Pain, in in some respects, does look prettier. And don't you get special um, uh, unlocks or something on... Yeah, you get, you, get so, you get some upgrades if you import your save from Ground Zeroes into Phantom Pain, depending on what your kind of, how good you were at beating Ground Zeroes. Um... What else would I say in terms of Metal Gear Story? Because that's the thing that people like me come to the table for, is that you know, having not played Metal Gear games before, that Metal Gear Solid is renowned for being batshit fucking insane and having cutscenes that last almost longer than the game itself. This game is lighter on all that stuff than any before it. There has not been a ridiculously extended cutscene in the entire game so far. Um, However... There is just enough of the weird, crazy Metal Gear stuff in it to keep people like me loving it. The whole opening chapter, the prologue, which again, I won't spoil on you here if you're going to play it, is so Metal Gear. It's the most Metal Gear thing that's ever happened. It's glorious. just been said. It's glorious. It's insane. It's fun. It's weirdly horrifying. Like there's a lot of kind of weird psychological and body like horror involved in it. What it is? Do you know what it is? Topical. Do you know what it is? Is it? I was saying this to Mark. It makes me sad that we'll never get to see Silent Hills from Hideo Kojima because that prologue chapter when you eventually play it you'll see that oh man Kojima could actually do a really good horror game and it's such a shame like uh, there's also a lot of kind of fan service uh, characters from previous Metal Gears and stuff like that and like you know your Metal Gear lore you'll be rewarded with kind of like nice nods and tips of the cap and stuff like that um, but yeah I think other than that without trying to bore you to death I think that's really kind of it's a thorough recommendation it's you and everyone yeah it's one of my favourite games of the year it's being lauded with 10 out of 10s 5 out of 5s all that sort of stuff uh, left right and centre um, I would go so far to say at this point I'm only about uh, the guts of 20% of the way to full completion in it I'll say one I'm never getting the platinum in this game no matter how much fucking hard I try um, and number two I'm pretty sure even at this point it's my favourite Metal Gear game of all time which takes some doing considering you know I'm a big fan of Metal Gear uh, particularly uh, Metal Gear Solid 3 Snake Eater because it's got a glorious melodramatic uh, opening uh, musical number that you would even love because it's like a it's like a Bond song it's great I'll play it for you someday um, but yeah that's that's Metal Gear anyway thorough recommendation especially if you're into Metal Gear also what I would say is um, you're not uh, it doesn't adversely affect you too much if you've never played a Metal Gear game before um, that was one of the faults of the series previously with Metal Gear Solid 2, 3 and 4 you were kind of fucking lost for a long long time if you didn't play any game before it but uh, if you play Ground Zeroes uh, you're pretty much where you need to be for Phantom Pain uh, you won't miss out on anything the only thing it's kind of like Batman where if you don't if you haven't read any Batman comics the Batman games are still perfectly fine but if you have read Batman comics or watched the animated series or anything like that um, there's kind of like stuff that rewards you for that knowledge there's references <laughs> yeah I know <laughs> like, just, I mean, like I mean, I mean, like I don't, I don't follow the Metal Gear series. Like, I have a vague notion. I'm, I'm you know, pop culturally aware enough to know the basic gist of it. You explain enough to me, but what must it be like? Is there a person who who's played the like, Arkham Knight and isn't familiar with? Yeah, that? there's always one. How? Like what? Look, 
you know, you're talking to the guy with half a shell full of Batman comics, I don't know. Yeah, then but, uh, the guy who keeps stealing from your shelf. Exactly, yeah. That treats my shelf like a library. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, so that's out of the way anyway. That's what we've been playing this week. There's a couple of really big games coming out next week that, I've, or, or that have come out in the last week or so that I have played, but I kind of want to save it for next week or something like that when we're... Look, the most kind of, important game of the year has not yet come out. So. No, Mario Maker came out last week, man. Oh, if only you could see the the expression on Brian's face there. Not not angry enough to uh, mock Mario in front of me, but angry enough that I didn't admit that I, he was talking about Fallout. You know how to push my button so well. <laughs> right, so with that uh, bombshell, uh, let's move on to the news. News on the mark! So, we have a few stories in the news this week. Uh, nothing too earth-shattering, but uh, let's go through it anyway. Uh, Nintendo have elected a new president. This is uh, in the wake of Satoru Iwata's death, or, uh, tragic death earlier on this year. Uh, and they have appointed uh, Tatsumi Kimishima. I actually hadn't practiced that before we start recording. I think I did a great job. You've always had a knack for that, though. Oh, thank you. Uh, as its new president following Starro Wattas' death in July, uh, Kimishima, 65, was most recently the company's managing, managing director and head of human resources. This story, by the way, comes from The Verge uh, and previously served as CEO of Nintendo's uh, American arm. Do you want to stop? No, do a cough. It's fine. Don't worry about it. You're allowed to cough on this show, Brian. And then there was one episode with Mark where I was just like constantly, because I was able to control the mute on my Skype, I was just spluttering away like a madman. We allow weakness on this show. In fact, we thrive in it. <laughs> um, so yeah, this is kind of, it's a guy who has worked uh, not only in Nintendo, but previously worked for um, the Bank of... Tokyo Mitsubishi UFJ, Japan's largest bank for 27 years before that. This is a guy who has a lot of business experience. He's worked uh, with a lot of the people in Nintendo because he's been there for quite a while. He was put in charge of the Pokemon company in 2000, which I think you can probably uh, agree has been has made quite a bit of money for Nintendo down through the years. Oh, right, yeah. Yeah. Um, importantly, I think uh, what a lot of people have pointed out that... Uh, He's taken this role at a very important time for Nintendo, where the Wii U hasn't done great, um, the 3DS has not done great compared to the DS, um, and kind of a new direction needs to be made. We talked in previous episodes about this NX console that they're working on, uh, what that's going to be, we don't know yet, we won't know anything about it until next year. Uh, so he's taken kind of... Um, He's taken charge at a really pivotal moment in Nintendo's history. Um, I think what, for cr critics of the Wii U, might be heartened by the fact that this is a guy, uh, Kimishima, who had come out very vociferously against the idea of the Wii U. I don't think he went so far as to call it stupid, but didn't stop too far short of that either. Thought it was a terrible idea. Uh, and as it turns out, he was right. So maybe a guy with his business instincts can do well with Nintendo. Uh, my concern would be Iwata was a guy who always said he had the heart of a gamer because he was a game designer for his whole career before he became a suit at Nintendo. So my worry would be a guy who doesn't think like a gamer, does he make decisions in the best interest of the gamer or does he make in decisions in the best interest of the profit margin? And will in two years Nintendo be making all mobile games with microtransactions and doing it? Will they basically oh, be yeah. Konami, which 
will be a lot more upsetting if it's Nintendo. Jesus, man. I'll be so much more grim. I, I, like, I don't love Nintendo like you love Nintendo, but Jesus, I mean, the heart, the soul of gaming will be gone. Oh, yeah, yeah. Like, there's like even people who don't play Nintendo anymore are going to be watching this one and watching this company, you know, as it moves through, just it's hoping like, yeah, it is. The, they're still the crazy toy maker because in a related uh, thing that you pointed out to me today, that officially today now because we're recording this uh, very early in the morning, uh, one in the morning on the twenty third of September, uh, it is Nintendo's one hundred and twenty sixth birthday today. Which is incredible. I'd so like uh, the company that was always kind of the crazy toy maker because obviously game systems aren't 126 years old. Um, it's amazing that a company like this has stuck around for so long and had such an impact on not only Japanese culture but That's global so culture. Like yeah. that a business has survived so long in you know through the evolution of the corporate world. It survived World War Two in Japan. Yeah, like. That in itself, like, economically, is amazing. I mean, you know, you could say, oh, Coca-Cola's been around that wrong. Yeah, Coca-Cola's been in America. Yeah. You know? Like, this is a Japanese con uh, company with global influence, and y you talk about kind of your, you know, if you were to make a list of the 100 most recognizable pop culture figures of the last 50 years, Mario's on there. You've got Mickey Mouse and Mario, man. Yeah. There are like they, Mario is certainly on the list. You could make an argument about like any other character, like a Link or whoever, like that. You know, half people st would still call him Zelda. Yeah. But you know what I mean. Mario is kind of ubiquitous, really. Mario is yeah. like you look at it at the moment in McDonald's over here. Mario is your Happy Meal toy. <laughs> you know what I mean. Mario is ubiquitous. Like this, go like they're going through some hard times at the moment, Brian. They really are. We're not in the heyday of uh, Nintendo at the moment, but look. All things are cyclical. Maybe they come back. But uh, it is great to take the time kind of on a day like this to reflect on 126 years of not all hits, some misses. But uh, yeah, the crazy toy maker is still alive and well for the time being anyway. I love to pick up some of those card games and actually, well, I'd have a fun time learning how to play them. Yeah. Um, well, you're the guy who loves Gwent, so you're prepared for any oh, challenge Gwent's really, awesome. aren't you? So... Moving on, this is an interesting story that I told you not to look at because I wanted to get your reaction on it. Mm -hmm. Machinima, are you familiar with Machinima? Vaguely, yeah. YouTube kind of uh, geek gaming nerdy channel on YouTube. Quite popular. Mm -hmm. People enjoy it. They've been in a little bit of trouble, Brian, with, of all people, the Federal Trade Commission. I really thought you were going to say something to a probably gamer again. I'm going to read a story from Wired.com for you. Machinima has settled with the Federal Trade Commission after an investigation into undisclosed paid endorsements, the FTC said today. Earlier this year, the FTC issued a complaint against Machinima, saying that it had failed to disclose financial incentives regarding video content uploaded by its member channels in violation of the Federal Trade Commission Act. Microsoft, through an outside agency, paid Machinima to produce positive videos about the Xbox One. And Machinima didn't tell anybody about it. And I think for us, like, I would very much hasten to describe us as a gaming journalists, but we're certainly in that kind of... We're uh, aspiring we're, we're, Yes, we're aspiring game journalists. We're very, very much kind of floating around that sphere of influence. Um, and the idea, of course, of ethics in games journalism has reared its head for many years now um it's been used as a stick to beat uh some people with 
And then there are some, you know, ver- so kind of seems like the minority sometimes on your internet, but there are some people who are genuinely kind of campaigning for ethics in video game journalism. Mm. Um, the famous case for me always, like, because, you know, the, the kind of, I'm not going to get into a Gamergate discussion. I have, no, I have no fucking interest in talking about those people. But um, for me, the case that kind of ta- that speaks to me the most about ethics in video game journalism isn't the Anita Sarkeesian stuff or the Zoe Quinn stuff, any of this kind of um, stuff that's going on at the moment. What it is for me is the moment that made me kind of sit up and think about ethics in video game journalism was uh, a man I talk about a lot in this podcast, Jeff Gersman, now of Giant Bomb, and his dismissal from GameSpot in 2008 when he got editorial pressure to change his review on Kane Lynch 2 because uh, I think I want to say it's IDOS released that. Um, basically, Jeff Gersman, as he is wont to do, uh, as he has so often done throughout the years, panned Kane and Lynch. And, Him and everyone else. Yeah, but GameSpot at the time had heavy advertisement on the sides from Kane and Lynch 2. So there was a new editorial team in GameSpot at the time. They were getting pressures from the ad- pressure from the advertisers. They came to Jeff. They said, change your score or change your review. He said no. They fired him. Half the editorial staff of GameSpot walked out and joined him at now giantbomb.com. Um, and that was the, kind of the first time I had thought about like video game companies, developers, publishers trying to influence the reviews they're getting. And it's something I've been very alert of. People like Jim Sterling are very much advocates for kind of, you know... Um, calling bullshit when this kind of stuff happens and this machinima thing like it's so wrong it's so bad like the idea that you be watching something on youtube and obviously youtube is an open platform anybody can upload anything to there but machinima you would think at this point been around for a long time people who aren't even massively You've heard of obsessive it. about gaming journalism. I've seen it. It's one of the kind of prominent apps on the App Store for Xbox. It's you'll always see it floating around in recommended on YouTube. Did you um, say prominently on the App Store on Xbox? Yes, <laughs> yes. Funny that, isn't it? <laughs> um, but the idea that they would have built up some credibility over mm-hmm. time, and like I'm all about this. Right, look, if you're going to get money from Microsoft, fine. Say you're going to. If you're going to, if they say, "Here's some money, produce a video about the Xbox One," well, then the very first thing you say in your video is that this is a paid endorsement on behalf of Microsoft. I myself personally wouldn't even go that far, but if full disclosure is made, I have much less of a problem with it. If someone opens the video to watch it and they know that this video is being paid for by Microsoft, they're going, "Okay, well." I need to be aware that some bias is maybe taking place. Throw two cents in there. I mean, yeah. talking about Mad Max earlier, I bought Mad Max. I bought Mad Max on day two or day one. No, it was the afternoon of release day. Yeah. Because we went in together. Um, and I hadn't pre-ordered it because I didn't know because like Jack Gerson, you passed it on to me that he thought it was hot hot shit yeah. in the bad way. And I was kind of like, but it looks so pretty. It looks exactly what I want. And I went and obviously, like, I was watching every review I could get my hands on, every review video, reading everything I could get, and every single one of them that I came across, video or written article, this review is based on a playthrough of the game on a promotional copy provided by... Yeah. Full disclosure. Studios. Yeah. 
or and that's not even WB, and that's yeah. not even full disclosure of a paid endorsement. That's full disclosure of this is a preview copy. Yeah, that's a preview. in those cases that's usually to cover their asses because the final version sometimes will differ. Like yeah. a, a day that's one, how, the day one all, patch. That's comes how in. I always would have read that yeah. from that perspective. But now you're kind of looking, you're thinking like, yeah, actually, like yeah. so. Machinima have been very naughty boys indeed. So also you're looking at this and you're thinking why would you ever believe that and have to say about that again this is the thing how do you how do you crawl back your editorial credibility after this I don't think you do no um, especially like for, like you know what I mean you could argue that oh, maybe not everybody has seen this story but the people that have are going to be important <laughs> people like what I mean like yeah. at the same time like the tastemakers the, like uh, Machinima Machinima are part of like an online game journalism thing where you know it's precarious. Yeah. You have to be the hot thing. You have to be the website people go to. I mean, you know, wish for thinking, thinking of pipe. Yeah, well, look, there are so many years. There, it could be us on top. Like, you, know, like, you know, but just, just for, yeah, instance, for yeah. instance. like No, but like, yeah, there, you, I know what you mean. There's so many websites and publications competing for your eyeballs. It's like, yeah. you've got Game Informer, you've got IGN, you've got GameSpot, you've got Machinima, you've got... Uh, Giant Bomb, you've got Nerdist do game coverage, you've got VG247, you've got Videogamer.com, you've got Eurogamer, you've got all this sort of shit, and this is without even going so far down the pecking order as to include us. Uh, Or any any one that does a Let's Play on YouTube. You know? Um, And it's just, like, to me, it's the matter of disclosure, and that's the FTC's problem. Is that, like, you could say ethically it's a grey area to accept any money at all, from a publisher or a dev or anything like that, but to me, it becomes at least less of a grey area if at the very start of the video you go just go, look, hands up in the air, we're doing this because we got money from Xbox to make this video. You know what I mean? So you can go, okay, well, I can trust this as a source of, oh, look, these are the cool things Xbox can do, but maybe if they're saying, buy an Xbox, I won't take it so seriously. You know what I mean? Um, Yeah, it's a real bad situation. It's... um. It's incredible as well to see that, um, you know, for certain parts of the internet that claim they're all about the ethics in video game journalism, this hasn't been jumped on nearly <laughs> half as vigorously oh, as you mean, you mean, certain other stories. You mean like how, you know, Dave, let's be honest, we all did fuck a big in college. Like, we've all done that. <laughs> you know, I mean, come on, big deal. Uh, now, not singing the English National Anthem. Now, that's, that's, oh, now, come on. Yeah, but, the, like, this is the kind of thing. It's it's all about uh, perspectives. and um, It's all about the agenda that you're pushing and selling. Yeah. Um, and Machinima has such a manly-sounding name. It can't possibly <laughs> be for her. Yeah, it's just... Uh, Oh, it's sorry. just not nice. No, it's not nice. It's lies. It's it's insidious. It's predatory on the consumer, um, and that's obviously why the Federal Trade Commission have bitch slapped them. Basically, yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean. And it's where the gold government uh, bodies. It's good to see American tax money going to something that's actually you know working in the good of the consumer. You know, <laughs> so uh, fair play to the FTC on that one. You didn't think guys. I didn't think I'd ever say that. <laughs> that's a, that's a sentence. But there you go. Okay, moving on. Um, I'm gonna take you on a little journey here, Brian. To a little place I like to call Konami Corner. We should have theme music for Konami Corner. I've thought about it. We should have it. But the only thing I want as bumper music for Konami Corner is Jim Sterling loudly screaming, fuck Konami. (laughs) (laughs) Which he does so goddamn frequently. Um, 
but yeah, so we've covered on pretty much every podcast we've done, except was last week an exception? Did we do one on episode 11? No. I can't remember. Yeah, you have the worst memory in the world. Um, uh, there's been a very odd exception to it, but mostly on this podcast, uh, every week there's a news story about something stupid Konami have done or something, not necessarily stupid, so, but something to enrage the gaming public uh, at large. So this week... Konami, had, there was reports, they didn't say it themselves, but reports came out that Konami were planning to stop AAA game development altogether on every franchise they have, with the exception of Pro Evo. Which means, for fans of the, of the series in question, like Metal Gear Solid, Castlevania, Silent Hill, and through the, uh, the kind of the researching on properties Konami owns that are going to make me upset I found out they own Bomberman <laughs> um, that kind of according to this report we may never see any of those four again now granted based on Konami's recent behaviour with shoving all the creative people a lot of people like out the back door the first opportunity they can get maybe we don't want another Metal Gear game maybe we don't want another Silent Hill game especially in the hands of a bunch of fucking gibbering idiots um, so at the same time, though, you hear this report and it's very sad because you think it's the end of an era. Because Konami, at one point, was synonymous with great games. Yeah, like they're like yeah, they're up they're up there with the kind of you know they're synonymous with great games, great games that have become timeless in a way. Like I mean, yeah, very much like Capcom, yeah. and but have burnt out in a way that's much more. Or Sega. Yeah, and again, Konami, if they're burning out, they're burning out in a much worse way and leaving a much more sour taste in the mouth than Sega and Capcom. Capcom have kind of gone into a cycle of just re-releasing games over and over again, which is kind of shit, but at the same time, it's like, okay, I'd rather they re-release Resident Evil 1 100 times than try and make another Resident Evil that turns out to be awful. Yeah, just you know what I mean? Tread water, lads, until you find your... I'd rather, re- I'd rather them re-release the Mega Man Legacy Collection than try their hand at doing another Mega Man game you know what i mean so uh and then sega kind of at least sega went down swinging <laughs> you know what i mean sega went for that dreamcast god they <laughs> went for it hard but um yeah uh, konami have come out now not an official statement but konami have basically kind of like uh sidled up to people and whispered no we're not going out of business <laughs> um so they refused the claim i thought that the indication that was that konami were because this room has been knocking around. Uh, yeah, the idea is that uh, when you break down Konami's business and how they operate, most of their income money. comes from pachinko machines and mobile games. Yeah. Uh, and the assumption for a long time was that once Metal Gear Solid Five comes out, that that might be the end for them. That they don't um, want to sink millions and millions into AAA games. They just want to take their yeah. book off a Candy Crush knockoff of yeah. 842. Yeah, my thing about this, uh, when I looked at this story, is that one, no, no news story out of Konami is too unbelievable for me to believe at, the, uh, at this point. Um, the other thing was, like, it's a curious rumour, because you would think if it was just a rumour someone was starting just to start shit, the rumour would be they're stopping all AAA development altogether. Why pick Pro Evo to stay? <laughs> yeah, saying we're doing we're it's getting rid of all of it except Pro Evo makes me think. Okay, there's sounds like a bit of logic to that because Pro Evo has come out this year. Uh, by all accounts, is the better of the two football games. <gasps> Uh, yeah, David, which is David Ryan, David yeah. FIFA. Well, we're going to talk about that. Well, this is going to be my this is going to be my playing next week. I'm going to be comparing the two of them. So. Uh, Buckle up, son. My doctor but, said I uh, don't have to be here for that. <laughs> You're washing your hair that night. Yeah. Uh, busy. 
Um, anyway, um, but like I said, it's by all accounts the best one in years. They're mm. really back now. Um, and they could make a fair bit of money off this one. Like it's always been second place to FIFA in terms of sales. You don't have to have a huge creative team to make a pro Evo game. Oh no, you'd no, be no, no, su- no. you'd be surprised. No, I mean I mean in terms of creative team as in you don't need a Kojima. Yeah, you don't need an auteur. You don't need you an auteur. You don't yeah. need you don't need they to are, the story you would when you actually look into it though, at the same time, they are among the most difficult games in the world to make because oh, I'm again, not saying enough. Yeah. I'm not saying enough. But I'm saying I I just mean this as a side point rather than saying that's what you were saying. Oh, yeah. But it's it's more just like uh, when you look at it kind of because they're released annually, they only really have a nine month development cycle on them. Mm. And at a certain point it's like, how do you reinvent the wheel every single year? And they're hugely technically complex. No, I'm aware yeah. of that. I mean in the sense that, you know, a pro game or a FIFA game doesn't have a story in the same way per se yeah per se in the same way that a lot of AAA games would have that would be a thing that if it didn't get it right yeah you know it's not the biggest part of the game it's not the biggest piece of work in the game but it is immediately one of the things that gets reviewed we said story shit hmm uh, oh, so anticlimactic or oh, makes no sense or oh, there's plot holes like and people like you know which ties into your favourite argument that video games is art yeah. you know if video games aren't art in the same line as films how come they can get slated on their shit story or if there's plot holes in their story yeah. so like to say that you know pro uh, like I mean and this is someone who doesn't play sport games but a pro evo keeping pro evo as the franchise would be a safer bet say yeah. and like, Metal Gear Solid you know, you know the thing is like it's always second place to FIFA um, and until the day where Pro Evo stumps up the extra money and gets those final few licenses it's missing to be fully licensed, because I think that runs a lot of people off, mm. not having the like the full kind of English case. But I'll talk about that more next week. Um, as long as they don't have that stuff, there there's not a chance. And like, there's really kind of there's a lot of work to do. Like the word of mouth coming out about this game is going to do an awful lot because I wasn't going to buy this game. I, yeah, I wasn't going to buy Pro Evo. And then about two or three weeks ago, people started talking about the early impressions of the game. Steve Burns over at a video gamer uh, started talking about it. A few other people just going, "No, like I know we've kind of there's been false dawns before, but Pro Evo's back." And for people like me again, you're not a sports game guy, but Pro Evo was the shit. Oh no, I've heard you talk about Pro Evo, and Dave, I haven't just heard you talk about Pro Evo. I've heard other people talk about Pro Evo. Pro Evo back in the day was so much better and so much more fun than any FIFA game has ever been. But the problem was Pro Evo went off a cliff, and FIFA started to improve at the exact same time. Um, And it's incredible now, as I'll talk about next week, that we're going through a period where there are actually two quite good football games at the same time. It's real Sophie's choice. Mm. But uh, yeah, just in terms of this story, rather than getting on to stuff we're going to be talking about next week, um, Konami have come out and refuted that, saying basically there are more Metal Gear games uh, and more Castlevania games and stuff like that coming. And I don't know whether that makes me happy or sad. Probably sad. More than likely sad. Because fuck fuck Konami. Like, it's... um, yeah, it's just, uh, like I said to um, to Mark on an early show, Konami is a garbage truck on fire speeding towards a cliff. That's basically what that company is right now. Well, the games side of that company. like but Doing record profits, though. That's great. <laughs> uh, moving on. Last few news stories here. Brief ones. GameStop have decided they're going to stop selling console bundles that include digital copies of games. Unless you hear in your notes that you have, wow. Yes. Why? Brian, could you swing a guess as to why? Oh, gee, let me think here now. I'm going to hazard a guess that um, cottoning on maybe the idea that in promoting digital sales will eventually kill themselves off. 
You know what? You may just be right, Brian. You may just be right. I'm just going to quote this story here. Uh, this is Austin Walker over at Giant Bomb, and I feel like I'm just plugging Giant Bomb constantly on this episode. It's a great maybe website. They, maybe they're you know, making affiliates. That's a great website. Uh, Austin Walker wrote a really good st- think piece about this, right? And basically, like you said, it is that GameStop are basically alive now, still trading, because their trade-ins is where they make a lot of their money. Hmm. and if you sell a console with a digital copy not only again like you said is that alerting people to the idea that there are digital exclusives uh, or not digital exclusive but kind of digital games in that space that you can buy uh, but on top of that you can't trade in a digital game can you they can't take they can't take it yeah which is why it's reluctant sometimes to buy them yeah like my policy at the moment is that unless I'm reasonably certain I am going to end up trading it in I'm buying digital at the moment because I've had one too many bad experiences with kind of uh, trade-in values and stuff like that, that I would actually rather, I'd rather sink the cost, the 20 quid that I would get for a game I paid 70 quid for the first time around, rather than give them the satisfaction of being able to restock that game and sell it at 70 again Mm. and only give me 20. You know what I mean? It's very kind of, I've... Look, I'm not I'm not revealing any big secrets when I say that when you go in to trade in your games you get done over. You know what I mean? Um but if I like if I'm just to quote from this story here, right? Um this is uh as part of Austin Walker's story, he points out uh, what a guy called uh, Sam Atera said over at the Motley Fool. It's not possible to trade in or resell digital games, which poses a big challenge to GameStop's used games business. Last quarter Used games generated about one-third of GameStop's revenue and nearly 45% of its gross profit. Digital bundles reduced the number of available game discs in circulation, limiting GameStop's ability to resell them. Simple as. Like, we've talked previously on this podcast, I've talked with Mark, about how there's going to come a tipping point. Console manufacturers, Sony, Microsoft, Nintendo, need GameStop right now. They need GameStop because without game stores... How the fuck do you get your console to the gamers? That's cool. Well, is it, look, they're they're part of it. Do you know what I mean? They're like they're kind of easing the uh, the kind of worry about that. But at the same time, like you look at the percentage of consoles that are sold, the you're you're talking the majority are going to be in, uh, particularly in Europe where we don't have like Target and things like that. Uh, you're going to be talking about the majority are going to be sold in specialist stores or stores where a majority of their business or like a sizable part of their business is gaming. Um, so kind of Sony and Microsoft, etc., are reticent to do like because the thing you could do to kill the used game market straight away or to kill GameStop would be to start releasing games much cheaper on your digital store. Like, there's no reason why they can't, because obviously it costs less to put a game up on the store than it does to actually create the physical media, create the disc, um, have the facility in which to make the disc, uh, and the case, and all that sort of stuff. Um, the main reason the costs are generally parallel, like, if a game is reduced on the store, on the PS store, or on the Xbox store, dollars to donuts very quickly, if not at the exact same time, GameStop is going to have the same reduction. Because they don't want to piss off GameStop, and GameStop don't want to lose out. So, myself and Mark have talked about that this is going to be this tipping point, where a high-speed internet connection gets ubiquitous enough that GameStop are going to start 
seeing it really start to pinch. Like I I have started to buy a lot less physical, but at the same time I kind of acknowledge that I'm an early adopter for this kind of stuff. We're lucky enough to have speedy internet that we can download full AAA titles relatively quickly. Like for me, like for me in games like being like come to games altogether, like I still balk at paying seventy odd quid for a game. So when I buy a game brand new, yeah. It's not going to be a game I'm going to trade in. I am yeah. not shelling out that kind of money for a game that I know or even suspect I'm going to be giving back. Yeah. Regardless of how much I get for it, there's a very concept of buying a thing and saying, yeah, I'll have this for a couple of weeks. That's why I fucking hated the order so much. Because you bought it physically? Because then... I bought it physically, brand new, for what, 70, 75 quid we spent on? It was 70. It was slightly cheaper. And I ended up giving it back like a couple of weeks later. It was, it, was about, it was about three weeks later, yeah. Because it was shit, like, and that yeah. really—I mean, like, more looked so pretty, <laughs> but that's about so it. Being cheated by the game, I felt cheated in that kind of way, like. Yeah. Um. So, like, like Mad Max, like, I paid, bought Mad Max new, even though. Whereas, like, at the same time, right? I'll put it this way, right? You bought it seventy quid in the shop. You got really pissed off. Yeah, traded it back in three weeks, and were annoyed about having to do so. If that game had come out forty euro on the PS Store, I'd be more annoyed. Because you can't trade it in? I can't trade it in, because the order was that terrible. But, okay, but you know what I mean? Like, it, yeah. No, like, I mean, no, I know where you're going from. I mean, for me, when I'm going to, like, I, the only one games I buy digital are games that are dirt cheap. Yeah. But, I mean, like, I buy them... They're great for indie games. It's, it's great to have that space to be able to buy, buy the indie games. <laughs> uh, I mean, like, for me, like, the big, the great deals that I got, that I feel that I got was, I got the Tomb Raider Definitive Collection for, like, 12 quid. Yeah. Fucking peanuts. I got... Saints Row and uh, Get Out of Hell for 25 I think, for the two bundles. Yeah. You know, I got um, Assassin's Creed Black Flag for 15 quid. Um, and, like, they're solid games. They're last-gen ported over in most cases. Yeah. Um, I got them dirt cheap. No interest in trading them in. Like, I mean, I had fun with them. And I feel I paid a good value for them. Yeah. For me, I buy games physically if I intend to trade them in. Uh, that's my new policy now. Um, the likes of you'll see on my shelf there. How until dawn, by all accounts, a very good game. Everybody's enjoying it, but by all accounts, not a lengthy game. Not one that uh, you you will replay and replay and replay. Whereas something comes out like, um, for example, let's think of something I have pre-ordered, Uncharted. I have that pre-ordered digitally because I do not suspect I'll be trading that in anytime soon. It's a game that would reward uh, repeated playthroughs. Um, if a game that we're about to talk about in a related news story comes out, I would be very much inclined to buy that digitally in case I ever damage the disc, um, because then I will have that game or series of games forever tied to my PS account. Um, it's just nice to have them there and to kind of like now that we have in a video that's going to be released this week two terabyte hard drives in our ps4s brian we have the space now and the library to be yeah, able to kind of David. rather than take up like you see i have on my bookshelf there i have very few ps4 games on it you've got that sweet game knack <laughs> yeah that like because that's worth buttons now <laughs> right but my point is that I have a big PS4 library and I don't need to have the space. Oh, yeah, physical space. Dragon. But you know, you know what I mean? Yeah, I, like, I don't I don't have like bookshelves full of shit like where as when I had a PS2, it was ridiculous. I had nowhere to fucking put my PS2 games. So I had to start trading them in out of necessity because even though I had the money to buy the new games, it wasn't a kind of I need the money with the trade-in issue. It was more like these games are going to get thrown in the bin if I don't because I have like I don't have the space for them anymore. 
So like that's where I'm moving towards. I think that's where people are moving toward digital media rather than physical. Like you, when the Xbox One was rumored, there was a lot of talk that that wasn't going to have a, an optical drive in it because they thought, okay, physical media is starting to be a thing of the past. Maybe we'll make the first stride towards that. Yeah, but you don't rush people. Rush yeah, people. you don't rush people. Well, as Microsoft people, found out when they tried to rush people like on DRM. You can't have. Yeah. Uh, well, again, that's yeah, that's what Microsoft found out when they yeah. uh, introduced the Xbox One. Um, right, we'll move on. Um, analyst uh, claims that the console audience has peaked. So this guy, let's get, let's get his name here. Uh, Wedbrush Securities Analyst Michael Pachter believes the console audience has already reached its peak. Basically, this guy has come out and said that the install base for consoles is as big as it's ever going to get. Um, this generation is not going to sell as well as the previous generation. It's going to diminish and diminish and diminish. He basically believes that this is the last console generation. And he's saying, oh, I read the article, and I mean, there's a couple of points he makes. He uses the, um, the difference between sales of the Wii U and the Wii and of the 3DS and the DS yeah. to illustrate... Which, the by the way, are complete uh, anomalies. Yeah. Um, uh, that, he uses not that anomalies in that the Wii U and 3DS sold so bad, but the anomalies are that the Wii and the DS sold so well. <laughs> like, you're comparing two unsuccessful relatively unsuccessful consoles to two of the highest selling consoles of all time yeah. and abnormally high, uh, high selling but yeah that's kind of seems to be the basis of it and his argument that oh it's all going mobile gaming now now uh, that is true if you're like if you're looking at certain markets japan very yeah. much mobile gaming oriented um so much so that they have to enact legislation to prevent uh, microtransactions exploiting uh, teens yeah. because they were racking up huge debts on their parents' cards and even their own cards with microtransactions for shit like Candy Crush um, like even even with this guy's projection is in the articles which he appears to be pulling out of his arse he's absolutely pulling them out of his arse um, he's still projecting that they'll only fall 10 million units short collectively um, now I don't see the evidence for that at the moment now this guy's an analyst and I am not Um I do a degree in economics, but I do not believe that makes me more qualified than him. But at the same time, looking at the numbers that PS4 is doing, PS4 is on pace to become one of the highest selling consoles of all time, if not the highest selling console of all time. It's doing ridiculous numbers. Uh, Xbox, even though it's not doing as well as PS4, is still doing ridiculous numbers. It's doing better than the Xbox 360 was at that point in its life cycle. Um, to me, this argument really doesn't hold any water, at least for now. Like maybe five, six years when the console generation is over, we look back and we go, okay, no, fair enough, he called it. But at the moment, I don't really see it. I don't see that in support to supposition. Like, I mean, I know logically where he's coming from, but, you know, I mean, it's not wrong or unfair to assume that something like that would plateau. But the technology would outplace it or the demand for it. But I mean, at the same time, you'd have to be looking at, you know, someone would have to go and test the waters and say, gee, there's very few angry 13-year-olds playing Call of Duty right now. <laughs> you know, yeah. to kind of see, like, to see, be able to see, like, oh, okay, there's the tail end of the queue, and there's no one behind that last person in the queue. Yeah. That's it, then. Yeah. You know, you need to be saying that there's no more generations of angry, uh, hormonally frustrated teenage boys playing Call of Duty. Yeah. You know, no offense to them and Call of Duty. Um, but, you know, where's your evidence? You know, yeah. where's your even cultural evidence? Look, this is, like this is a guy who probably is one of those kind of guys that's just going to, you know, if you predict rain long enough, the rain will come. Mm. So he's going to pipe up every now and then saying, you know, it's doomed, it's doomed. And then when it's doomed, he'll be like, I told you so, <laughs> even if it was decades after. Yeah. But uh, anyway, we'll, uh, we'll move on. 
uh, Mario Maker. It's only been out for about a week and a half. Mm. Already has had one million, well, over one million at this point, levels uploaded. I saw somewhere there was some really hard level that it was 11,000 attempts before anybody passed it. Yeah. There are some... It has made great YouTube fodder, being able to look at people trying to tackle some of the more difficult levels in Mario. Um, we are going to sit down at some point and play Mario Maker before we talk about it on the podcast um, mm. so that you can get a look at how it's designed. But sure basically... Uh, but basically, the only thing I'll say to you is that the only criteria, Brian, for being able to save and upload a level is that, is that it has to technically be passable. <laughs> you have to be able to pass it once in a trial run. What it does is before you upload the course, it say, okay, prove that this course is beatable by beating it. So if you can beat the course just once, no matter how difficult it is, you can upload that course. So yeah, there are people who have tried thousands of times to beat certain courses and no fucking luck um, it's incredible uh, but we'll talk about that in a, uh, on a future episode it's just incredible that so far like people are really digging that game um, like I mean I'm enjoying the hell out of it uh, but it's, it's great to see it's great it's great to see that like uh, for a developer for a publisher that doesn't really embrace the internet all that well Nintendo I think I can go so far as to say that they don't really embrace the internet at all sometimes um, that kind of there's such a vibrant online community already like a week and a half in for this it's amazing like it really is it's great strides for Nintendo yeah but like the people who are going to buy this are people like you have been freaking out with this for weeks and months yeah but you know what I mean like even if you talk about even if you say that people like me are by far in the minority no I'm you not look at you, but you know what I mean but you look at the number crunch it looks like most people who like that this uh, the MPD numbers aren't out, but it looks like this game has a great attach rate that like most, like most, a lot of people who have Wii U's are buying this game, whether they're hardcore like me or not, uh, because, like Jesus, even with all the best will in the world, I couldn't contribute any sort of even tiny percentage to those million levels, because making those levels takes a while, if you're being creative about it. It takes a while. But um, move on to the final news story of the day. Hallelujah, Brian. Brian, I have been saying this since our E3 hype podcast, where I said I will just be happy. Right? HD remakes are coming out of everywhere, every nook and cranny. There are HD remakes. There are only two HD remakes I have any fucking interest in whatsoever. The first is Red Dead Redemption. Which everybody, not, which everybody wants. Which everybody wants. The most demanded one. Which everybody wants. We've not gotten yet, but hopefully, hopefully. And then there's this one. A South African retailer over last weekend accidentally put up the pre-order page for the Bioshock collection Ooh. on PS4 and Xbox Somewhere. One. Presumably, this is Bioshock, Bioshock 2. And Bioshock Infinite with all accompanying DLC. This makes me very happy, Brian. Um, I'm very happy, my God. Bioshock, one of the great games of all time. Bioshock Infinite, in my mind, Oof. in my opinion, better. Yeah. But I'm I like myself and Mark had a really long argument about this on the Bioshock episode of the podcast. Plug again, go look up that up in the archives. We had a big long argument about this, and I'm more than willing to accept people who prefer the original Bioshock. But just for me, the things I look for from a game, Bioshock Infinite is my jam. Um and it's great because I've gotten I've said before on the podcast, I've gotten rid of my PS3, I gave it away. Uh, when my PS4 came out, because old game is old. Uh, there's only a certain few, special few games that I kind of miss being able to play. Last of Us was one of them. Last of Us has come out on PS4. Grand Theft Auto was one. 
Grand Theft Auto has come out on PS4. Now, hopefully, Bioshock. The date that's listed on this South African retailer is November this year. So, just in time for Christmas, Brian. Uh, you're not... I, I, I suppose you were you were around for last generation, so you wouldn't be kind of... It's not like if PS1 and PS2 games were getting re-released. But uh, your thoughts on uh, kind of HD... The, the spate of HD re-releases and then this one in particular. None of them I've particularly been very excited about. I mean, like... You got Saints War. Row. Okay, yeah, I suppose. Oh. Saints Row, Gears of War are pretty much the two you've bought into. And you do eventually plan on buying uh, Last of Us, but I wouldn't so much count that because you didn't play Last of Us the first time. No. Well, in fairness, you didn't play Saints Row the first time either. No. So uh, Gears of War is really the only one that you've technically bought into. Yeah, um, and that was... The large part of that is making you play, yeah, um, which is fun. Uh, woo, just high walls. Um, <laughs> like, I mean, I never, like. I still have my 360 inside. I didn't know what you did. I I'm gonna hoard that thing until it actually stops working. Yeah, uh, and then probably replace it or get it fixed. Um, I still have a good few of my games. Uh, so like, I can go and play. I bought two Gears of Wars in there right now and go play it now. Like, they look yeah. prettier on the next next gen and that. Like, and it's handy to not have to turn on the fucking jet engine fan on the thing. Yeah. Um. What it is for me is that, I mean, I want HD run to the Bioshock because I want it remastered. Yeah. I want it prettier. I want it on my PS4. I want Bioshock 1 prettier. I think Bioshock Infinite was pretty good. <laughs> yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, mean, like, I, mean, like, I don't like, think like, you need to polish that all like too much. It's going to be exceptionally prettier. Like, yeah. you know, there'll, there'll be a couple of my new things. Do you know what I want as well? I've said this to you already. I want the trophies not to be stacking on top of the old ones so I can get two platinums for Bioshock Infinite because yeah, I am a crazy not, person. Let's just not pretend that, you know, that was all your own work. Yeah, I know. You were the Elizabeth to my booker. Sitting there telling me to crouch when I was dying. <laughs> Which was a lot. Did catch. Yeah, I got, I got that platinum. Um... And I hope to get it again, because I, like, genuinely, and I've said this before, uh, Bioshock Infinite was my favourite game of the last generation. So, you, I mean, like, you say that that's coming out on PS4, I'm like, how much? <laughs> you know, shut up and like, take my yeah, money. just take my money. Uh, like, I mean, I, like, I didn't platinum them now, because we didn't have, there isn't platinums on Xbox, but, you know, I didn't get all the trophies around like that. Um, but, but yeah. I, I've played it a good couple of times at this point now, and I mean... What I'd actually like to do is to be able to go back and get all the trophies for uh, Buried at Sea because I didn't. I I only got the trophies really for beating that. I didn't really after you know after I finished the DLC and my nose stopped bleeding from the head melt. Um, no spoilers. Uh, I kind of I didn't go back and revisit it because it was very. I finished that very close to the time I got my PS4. So it would be nice to go see that. Now, obviously, 2K have come out and said, we don't respond to rumours and speculation, which I look at and go, oh, they did. I look at that and go, they didn't say no. <laughs> <laughs> um, but obviously, they didn't say yes either. So it's a wait and see on that one. Like, hopefully, it makes fucking sense, really, doesn't it? Uh, like, you know, System Shock is getting re-released on PC. So you would think, like, you cash in on nostalgia before people forget what Bioshock is, because, like, you've got to think about Bioshock... Infinite came out in 2013 and like things move pretty fast in games that like another few years you're going to kind of go past that peak point where people are going to want to listen to Vine bring us the game and wipe away the death <laughs> alright um, yeah very much looking forward to the possibility of that oh, coming out oh not so bad um, so we'll very quickly move on to our last feature before the book club and that is the Mark Robinson Oriental Odyssey update let's say China 
China. 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 So Mark's having fun in China still. He's still alive, Brian. That's the crucial bit. He's managed to stay for the guts of a month now in China, and he hasn't... Did he get the de- Taylor Swift 1989, uh, the TS-1989 Hubby Eye Center? No, funnily enough, he didn't. <laughs> um, but he, uh, yeah, he's st- still alive. He's uh, started teaching now in his school. Still got all his organs? I've uh, still got all his organs, as far as he knows, anyway. Hasn't been mauled by pandas from We're trying to We're not going to be them. popular in China, <laughs> I don't think this podcast is big in China. I could be wrong. You could be wrong. We'll have one download every week in China with Mark. <laughs> Just check it out to see what we said about him. <laughs> I'm bound to get it, like a tweet about this tomorrow. Anyway, um, so some like scant updates on what Mark's been doing this week. I try to, I kind of try to go through. Uh, we actually probably will have him on next week because his Skype is actually working pretty stable in the hostel he's in now. So I might get to talk to him for a little while. But uh, for now, anyway, I've crawled through his Twitter feed and me talking to him on uh, Facebook Messenger to see the kind of the stuff he's been up to this week. So four small updates. Uh, Mark is distraught because Super Meat Boy, which is a game he really loves, an indie game that he really, really loves. Very fucking difficult game. is coming to Vita in October and he's in China with his Vita and he can't download it. (laughs) (laughs) Because apparently the Chinese do not really believe in Wi-Fi. Or download them, I Yeah, so he is not going to be able to download it. So he's stuck there maddeningly until, like, whenever he comes back and he won't be able to download Meat Boy. He's desperately calling out on Twitter. If anybody knows how to download Vita games in China, please give Mark a tweet at Lithium Project. He uh, is desperate to get some Meat Boy action going on over there. He's, hey. <laughs> oh, <come laughs> oh, God. Do you know, that's one of those sentences. Didn't sound so bad in my head when it came out, when I said it. Good lord. Anyway, moving swiftly on. Mark is waging war against the cockroaches of China as well. Apparently, cockroaches the size of your fist out there. Which is just... It's on that list. Not number one, but it's on a growing list of reasons I don't want to go to China. Although, actually, I'm back in college this week and they have offered us the chance to go and teach for two weeks in China. And be, and be handsomely compensated for it, they said. Fucking yeah. yeah, I think about it. But then you hear cockroaches the size of your fist and no V. Yeah, Mark. So, yeah. Yeah, yeah, I'm sure I'll just go, you have to go to China. Can I stay with my friend? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, sure. I can't see a problem with that. Um, what has Mark been teaching, you might ask? Well, he's there to teach English as a foreign language. I asked him the kind of things he's been doing. This week, he's been subjecting the students that already speak a bit of English to the Beatles, the Clash, the Smiths and Blur. So the British invasion has begun again <laughs> in the east and it will spread west. Um, I asked him, I was like, why? Because knowing Mark as I do, I asked, why are the Manic Street Preachers not on that list? He said he has saved that for the kind of the more advanced students. He'll absolutely be arrested for political agitation. Yeah, I think you might be. You just play them the masses against the classes and there's going to be like people with guns bursting through the windows at any moment. Um, and... In a bit of current affairs news, I asked Mark for his reaction to hashtag piggate. <laughs> you mean hashtag Bay of Pigs? Yes, where uh, schna- the prime minister of his grand old country was doing some naughty things with a pig. Uh, in his we'll, youth. Yes, in his youth. We'll, uh, we'll not get into it here because I think we'll try to remain the only podcast that doesn't I substantially cash in. I know you did. <laughs> but we'll try to remain the only podcast that doesn't substantially cash in on the boatload of puns that come with it. Hashtag Snatridge. And there we are. <laughs> but uh, he sent me a one-line reaction to this, which reads, I think I'm so numb to life, I just read it and went, oh, fair enough. 
And that was your Mark Robinson Oriental Odyssey update for this week. Um, so without further ado, Brian, I think we will move on now to the book club. And this week on the book club, we are talking about uh, a little game from the PS2 era called Manhunt. Controversy and the games industry go hand in hand like Ico and Yorda, if you'll forgive the incredibly nerdy analogy. And like Yorda, the controversy tends to stay focused for an average of about 8 nanoseconds before getting bored and drifting off to do something else. But when it does get focused, it can get very exasperating, such as when youthful paragons of self-control are called nasty names and decide that murder would be the wittiest comeback, and then is found to have stood next to a video game at some point in the past. Then the media generally start drooling the usual uninformed questions as to whether wholesome boyish pretend violence has any correlation with the real world. Short answer, no. Long answer, no, and go fuck yourselves, you ignorant scaremongering cock bags. But sometimes this can be a difficult position to take. Okay, pressing buttons to shoot guns in, say, Soldier of Fortune is about as far removed from the workings of actual guns as my ass is from the dark side of Europa, but then you have games like Manhunt, which not only have the player viciously maim human beings with a variety of household objects, but also provides detailed and up-close demonstrations on how to achieve the most horrific results. So every week on Link to the Cast, we usually do our book club feature, where we talk about the essential games from gaming history you have to play. My view of this book club is that it's not always about kind of, you know, these are the top 20 games of all time. Sometimes I want to use the games in our book club as discussion pieces, um, kind of uh, to get the ball rolling on a broader discussion, if you will. So to that end, this week, uh, myself and Brian are talking about Manhunt. Uh, Manhunt is a stealth-based survival horror video game developed by Rockstar North and published by Rockstar Games. It was released in North America on November 18, 2003 for PS2 and April 20, 2004 for Xbox and PC. This, Brian, was during a very kind of a rare old times, as we might say here in Ireland, uh, when Rockstar stuff used to arrive on Sony platforms before Microsoft, <laughs> uh, which I want to say, not going to look it up now, but I want to say it was a period that ended with San Andreas. Like, you know, GTA 3, GTA Vice City, well, obviously GTA 3, because I think GTA 3 preceded the Xbox being a thing. But Vice City, Manhunt, um, these kind of came out early, kind of, and you know, you were left kind of thumbing your nose at Xbox peeps in going into game trying to see if it was out on the right day. But Manhunt is kind of this great, um, I don't know what word you'd use for it, but this kind of this bone of contention, this kind of card that people play from time to time. It's one of the two cards, the cards I think of in the deck of people who try to decry video games as uh, an influencer um, of violent behavior in the youth. Um, the other one being Mortal Kombat in terms of games. They're the, the ones you hear about. Well, not so much Manhunt anymore because Manhunt was kind of like very much at the time uh, as we'll go into during this discussion. But it is one of these great kind of... Um, whenever you try to bring up the... Like I always fly the video games as art flag. I always say this. It's kind of my gimmick now on the show. And when I try to do that, you'll find people who kind of know a bit about games. One of the things they'll throw in your way is something like a GTA or a Manhunt or a Mortal Kombat. This wanton violence and kind of, you know, should we be exposing the youth of today to this kind of shite? Uh, as uh, Yahtzee once said, short answer, no. Long answer, no. And go fuck yourselves, you ignorant, scaremongering cockbags. I would be inclined to agree with that, but we'll get into it. Um, I played Manhunt at the time it came out. I had it on my PS2. Had to rebuy it to do this feature because I kind of shed all my PS2 games. I was kind of in my mid-teens. I was really kind of 
gaming historian or archivist or anything by that description so I kind of like once I got new console all games are old they're gone bye <laughs> so yeah I had to rebuy it and you as it happens Brian bought the PS2 quite recently as well bought found, found. oh yeah no yeah sorry I left behind no it was the accessories you bought Yes, I went and bought the um, the memory cards. That, that's right. And as we discussed before, you you didn't enter into console gaming until the Xbox 360. So if unless I am mistaken, this was your first experience with Manhunt. Absolutely. And not only was it your first experience with Manhunt, it was one of your one of your early experiences on the PS2 because the PS2 was a console you didn't have. No, I mean, as I like, left behind an apartment by a roommate, found it in a clean out the room before the next guy moved in, managed to pick myself up a PS2 and an Xbox original free of charge. Um, so I went down and I picked up um, memory cards and a couple of games, picked myself up uh, Crash Bandicoot, Wrath of, Car- uh, Wrath of Cortex, New Street Carbon, Van Helsing, because, you know, why not? <laughs> Because uh, you hate yourself. Van Helsing. Um, and, you know, I, I sampled them a little bit, went, Jesus, graphics were bad. Um, which kind of tie into our first impressions of this year. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, so picking up the base in, picking up the controller, operating kind of the way it is, and, you know, it was, it was an experience. Yeah. It's all, it's all still foreign to you, Ted. Yeah, yeah, yeah it's still, you're still getting a climate on now. I'm, I go back, I'm an OG. Uh, PS2 player. It was the it was my console that weaned me off Nintendo for a while. I went straight. I went from Nintendo 64 to PS2 and then back to GameCube and then forward to PS3. It was kind of a weird kind no of. No PS1 for you. Uh, I had a PS1 for like a little while. Kind of borrowed it off my cousin, but I was hard like in the 90s. I was hardcore Nintendo. I was fucking like whereas now I'm kind of what you probably call console agnostic because I have all the no I love Nintendo Nintendo always has a a place in my heart that the other ones don't but at the same time I don't like I won't deprive myself of a game experience on another console just because it's not Nintendo whereas I would have in the 90s you know what I mean I was very late coming to the table on Metal Gear Solid and Siphon Filter and things like this that I would have missed on PS1 and like I still haven't played the whole way through Final Fantasy 7 because like RPGs not my bag but anyway um, that's kind of getting off the point so this is your first experience uh, to kind of lay the table out it's kind of I wouldn't like I said description there from the Wikipedia page it's a stealth based survival horror, vi- horror video game which I would certainly agree with um, it's a very it, at the time I remember it being really kind of tonally a massive shift away from like this is the same people who were bringing you well the same kind of umbrella under which you got GTA 3 and GTA 4 Vice City and such, which like, you know, they were, were, yeah, there were like, there was some almost nightmarish violence and stuff like that and crime and all that, obviously in GTA that kind of goes hand in hand, but at the same time there was a cartoonish ridiculousness to all of it, whereas Manhunt is kind of like dead fucking serious and you got a land coming straight into this because originally you didn't know what this game was about at all. And your assumption that this, your assumption originally, and we really regret that we did not have the mic live when we started playing this about an hour ago, but you originally thought this was a game based on Manhunter. Well, vaguely associated. Yeah. I assumed it was in the, in the, in the, the theme of games back then, like it had the name and paid lip service. I assumed there was some connection because, you know, hyper-violence. Uh, yeah, and this isn't a way to kind of point out, haha, Brian's dumb, he didn't know. It's more that you were trying to keep yourself away from the knowing so that you could kind of 
experience it fresh. Mm. So your assumption was you heard Manhunt, you made the connection to Manhunter, and assume based on like the dirge of licensed games during this period that that must be what it was. Mm. And probably then they're looking at me kind of as if it was fucking crazy that I was putting a licensed game on the book club list or anything like that because they don't have a great history. Mm. But, uh, yeah, that's not what it is at all, though, Brian, is it? Oh. <laughs> no. It has Brian Cox in it. It does, yes. It has Brian Cox. Major, major thumbs up for Brian Cox being in this game. Um, but it's more, it's about a toy mate who is allegedly executed, but finds himself kind of waking up on uh, the table his dead body should be on, very much alive, uh, and now kind of subject to the whims of this crazy director, uh, Lionel Starkweather, voiced by Brian Cox. Um, and you basically have to go through and just gruesomely murder people uh, for his whim. It's uh, like it's um, a snuff it's movie, done. the video it's game. It's been done in movies. The concept is like the, the whole. But you got to think about it. Like this is early two thousand This is before Saw. Yeah, well, and that kind of it's an old idea. Like, oh, it is. obviously, snuff movies not invented by this game. The idea game. of that, you know, some mad scientist, you know, rich dude has some poor pleb running around. Killing people, or sorry, you know, it's like the, the, you know, it ties in with the classic idea, you know, uh, when rich people hunt humans, you know, hunting the greatest game there is, like you know, it's it's like that, but you know, modernized and fetishized, you know, on difficulty level fetish. <laughs> so, having played it now, would you be surprised to hear that? Firstly, it's included in that big book you might see in bookshops, one thousand and one games you must play before you die. Which yeah, it's in that. Yeah, uh, and it's also listed at number eighty-five in IGN's top one hundred PS2 games. You see, I for me it has to be always prefaced with the fact that you know it was the start of the time. Yeah, yeah, yeah you're experiencing you know, a two thousand and three game for the first time in twelve years later. Yeah, not having been around for that console generation at all, so you don't have a barometer. Like if I went back to a PS2 game now. I would be kind of keenly aware, having played so many fucking PS2 games, what to expect. And how good it would be in context. I don't yeah. have the context. Like, I mean, I, I did play the Xbox original back in the day. Like, I played the original Halo games, you know. I know what it looks like. I, I know what, look, uh, what the kind of the sharp edges and the, you know, gigantic rectangle fist for fist thing and that looks like, you know. Mm. I mean, one thing I would say, like, coming in sitting down is that, like, you know, in the frame of mind that, you know, okay, you have to accept, right, this is a 12-year-old game, graphics look pretty good. Yeah. For a game that, like, it's it's mid-PS2 life cycle, it does look incredible. But as I was saying to you as you were playing through, like, Rockstar are known for really going the extra mile and kind of getting as much as they can out of the hardware. Because, like, if you compare this to, say, a game that was on the next generation after this PS3 and Xbox 360 Condemned, which, by the way, is one hell of a fucking game. Yeah, I'm a big Condemned 2 fan. Uh, see, I, the, uh, Condemned 2 is great uh, until have you played Condemned 2? I played the first five minutes and then I realised that well I'm not going to say the spoiler thing uh, well no it's been I think seven years <laughs> since that game came out so right okay fast forward about 20 seconds uh, if you don't want Condemned 2 spoiled on you but I enjoyed Condemned 2 until you got uh Towards the end, you get a Kamehameha style voice attack that murders people. I didn't even get that far. I got to the point where you look at the first TV screen and it's clearly fucking you in a mask yeah. being on, killing everybody. I was like, oh, for fuck's sake. Uh -huh. uh, Condemned one, though, absolute uh, pants sweatingly terrifying. The bit with the mannequins in the top. But the graphics on that are god awful. Yeah. They are terrible. I mean, it's, it's, it's horrendous to look at. And I mean, like, 
I love playing the game, and I got so immersed that I managed to forget the graphics were terrible. But I would say these graphics were worse than this, and it's a generation ahead. Uh, so yeah, definitely first things first. So visuals, bang on. Bang on. Voice casting. Absolutely bang on. on. Any any game Controls. of Well, oh. we'll go to the we'll go to the next one. Next positive. Sound. The sound. The your heartbeat when you're in the shadows. The music, like the background music, not in this. It's a soundtrack, but the the, the VFX. Yeah, the 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 mood music. Yeah, spot on. Uh, definitely tense and you know hearing your, just like as in the shadows, hearing your heartbeat didn't did while you're waiting for someone to walk past mm. the plastic bag. Now we get to kind of your your stumbling block. Well, we go we we'll do the kind of um, the full disclosure before we get into this, even though it has nothing to do with the thing we're about to talk about. Controls, you and stealth games. Brief a brief explanation because this will come up again. I fucking hate stealth games. <laughs> it's gonna be really fun the week the Last of Us comes up on this because it's yeah. coming. Yeah, yeah, I'm looking forward to that. Um, but like me and stealth games, like I mean, I can do stealth. I dislike stealth. Games where I have the option to not do stealth are games where, you know, they say, you know what would be fun here? You have a choice. You can go, you can do super stealth or you can do super the opposite of stealth. I will go super the opposite of stealth. May I interest you in a little game called Metal Gear Solid 5? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, I can do it. I'll eventually pick it up. You know, you have a horse. <laughs> <laughs> Damn right. Yeah, you just you, but you have to put up with me screaming down across the island at you, Dave. I'm on a horse. <laughs> That's fine. Uh, but yeah, um, so yeah, you and stealth games just don't see eye to eye. Don't see eye to eye. But like, there are games. Or where should I say, you and the concept of forced stealth. Forced stealth. For being forced to be sneaky. You wouldn't be a splinter cell fan. No. <laughs> but like, I, I'll I'll put a, a bit of condition on that. I'll say like, there are games where there are stealth elements where you know it pays to be sneaky. Let's just say. I mean, by, uh, random choice, Shadow War. There is not Shadow War. Pays to sneak around on the rooftops and hop down on dudes and run away again. Yeah. I can do that, and I'm happy to do that. My problem here with the stealth in Manhunt is the controls. Yeah. Now, uh, again, not not by way of kind of um, apologising for this game in any respect. This is about. So we're talking 2003, so we're talking about six or seven years into the idea of cameras moving in 3D space. Mm-hmm. And what became very evident in the early period of playing this game with you is that they hadn't quite nailed it yet, had they? Well, let, let's let's start off at the beginning. First off, you can, with the inversion, inversion controls. Yeah. Common thing's been there a long, long time as far as I'm aware. Yeah. Um, the way I like it and the way a lot of people like it is you have... I don't even know how to describe it, but your controller moves one way and your look moves the other way. Yeah. In this, you can invert the controls, but it leaves you one right and the wrong. Yeah. You can't words. get both of them the way you move, the, moving the way you would prefer. Yeah. So while I'm trying to stealth up behind some guy into the shadows and I move the way I want, and then I instinctively move the the right analog to look to my left, and the camera moves to the right. Yeah. And then you try and correct it, and then you correct it too far back, and next thing you know, if you spot it, you're there, what, step blown. Basically, yeah, basically to look uh, to give you the passenger uh, view of watching Brian play this game, it was a series of Brian sneaking up on people, trying to kind of stealth kill them, but because of these controls, he ended up repeatedly just walking head first into them. They turn around and went, whoa, what the fuck? And start kicking the shit out of you. Pretty much, yeah. And then I'm in a really bad third-person physical skin. Yeah. So that's kind of like the mechanics of the game and the kind of game on a very base level. But if just for a couple of minutes now, we kind of 
come up from that and we talk about video game violence, right? Um, at the time, this is a very controversial game. Um, it was implicated as being a, a, a influence on a very particular murder case uh, in the UK. Um, the murder of fourteen-year-old of a fourteen-year-old boy by his seventeen-year-old friend in Leicestershire. Um, the murder was quite brutal. The details I'm not going to get into in this podcast because why the fuck would I? Um, but there was somebody, kind of a family member, who were saying that the murderer was kind of fixated on this game, Manhunt. And like I said, this is the kind of the same, you know, coming from somebody who played... I know exactly where you're going with this argument now, Brian. Coming from somebody who grew up playing Mortal Kombat and had to listen to people talk about Mortal Kombat doing that, the same was said of South Park, the same is said of heavy metal music, the same is said, God knows, the same is said of professional wrestling, <laughs> which myself and uh, Mark Robinson movies. are a big fan of violent movies, all this kind of stuff. So, like, I'm used to this, things I enjoy being tired with this particular brush. Now, as it turns out, in this particular murder, it came out later on that it was actually the victim that enjoyed Manhunt <laughs> and not the murderer. But you also had a figure, I don't know if you ever heard of this man, because again, this would be before your time console-wise, a man called Jack Thompson. US attorney basically uh, witch hunter for video game violence. Uh, he is like public enemy number one when it comes to GTA and things like that. He was the saber rattler of the video games should be banned for being violent sort of thing in the US. Um, intended to sue Sony and the like for this. Um, but yeah, um, kind of to talk about it on a very kind of um, kind of scholarly level, uh, there was a report that came out, uh, the report here in Time magazine from uh, the 17th of August this year, said um, violent video games are linked to aggression, this study said. Um, uh, but it further goes on to say there's not enough evidence to suggest that it's linked to criminal behaviour so that's inconclusive in and of itself and then in a follow up to that and this report comes from BBC I believe yeah, BBC News um, they went to say that a load of academics then came out and wrote an open letter in response to this study saying it was a pile of horseshit and that even the links they had made between video game violence and aggression were tenuous to say the least so, for everything I've read, scholarly, everything I've experienced, and just the kind of, just the kind of opinion I have that, like, for most kind of well-adjusted people, any who aren't going to be more predisposed to murdering than others, this kind of game, like, I was able to play this game age, what, 2003, so I was 14? didn't bat an eyelid and like at the time like obviously it kind of looks a bit silly now ps2 graphics but at the time you think that this is the most I, realistic violence you've ever seen in the I, video I, games. I can see this i mean like it's 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 for want of a better word the creativity the grim and horrible creativity that has your first weapon that you pick up be a plastic bag yeah and um, like i mean on on the violence the violence and things like i mean i played this and yeah if you fueled my aggression the controls did <laughs> you know i mean you know, people get road rage in traffic. Yeah. You know, and some people, you know, get a stress related ulcer. Some people do get out of their car and smash other people's car windows. You know, we're not going to say that traffic 
you know, we're going to kind of go out Cars of should be banned because Cars people get road rage. Yeah, because people get road rage. I mean, you you saw me like in the room while you were talking there about, you know, the that murder case in the UK. You, Dave, saw me get up and walk across the room and pick up the man on the box. Yeah. And you know where I was going with this. There is here on this box, as there is on many of these boxes, and I know it's pretty much, I think, on all of the Mortal Kombat's, yeah. and it's on all of the violent movies, there is this little thing called the age rating. Yeah. And it says 18s. You know, I mean, like, this is one thing that really gets to me when people, like, I mean, there are arguments you made on every side of this, but it really gets to me when people go and ring their hands and say, oh, kids shouldn't be allowed. When people, when people, when people ring in live, like, oh, Joe. And, I mean, like, you have parents going, my son is down in the room playing this game, and it's so violent. And yet, it's a fucking 18s game. Yeah. You know, how do you get You fucking bought it for him. Yeah. You know, I mean, people need to exercise their own judgment on this. Younger yeah. people, yes, will be more impressionable. You will find, I mean, you made the argument about, about wrestling, yeah. right? And how so violent and impression on young people and that like and I remember from when we were young lads come into school and go oh let's try to do a suplex here on the grass at lunchtime you know younger people are more impressionable but that's the reason there's age on these things what time do you even like in the 90s what time do you even oh well Smackdown you see that's where that kind of bit falls apart is that Smackdown used to be on Sky 1's on Saturday morning at like 11 o'clock Okay. So but no, the thing is, like WWE and WWF at the time programming is littered with "Don't try this at home" advertisements, yeah, like, and it was still cited as at the time it was TV fourteen. Now it's TV PG. Um, but they've changed. But the whole, yeah, they've changed. Like kind of the, we could be here all night yeah. talking about that. Uh, but like, well, I could. You could. You know, there's, there's there's a level of discretion to be exercised here. Yeah, like for instance, I was saying I played this game at the age of fourteen. My grandmother, who was like who would have been the decision maker in this process not me by any stretch of the imagination <laughs> was allowing me by the manhunts and the GTAs and stuff like that now bear in mind 2003 fucking game store employees weren't fucking stopping me either yeah like I walked up age 12 years old and bought Silent Hill 2 on my own yeah <laughs> look I can do that Silent Hill, game, Silent Hill 2 is one of my five favourite games of all time I should not have been allowed by that at 12 years old I would argue I should not be allowed by that at 26 years old. I don't think I'm old enough for it yet. But, like, like, I mean, there's, there's like... You but know. again, my grandmother made the decision just because, like, she looked at me and she looked at the kind of stuff that were in these games and be like, well, I think Dave will be okay if I buy him GTA. I don't think he's going to murder any prostitutes. Yeah. Uh, like, I mean, you know, there's plenty of movies, you know, that are in the 18s plus bracket. You don't let your kids see because there's, you know, gratuitous violence and gratuitous sex and, although, you know, you shouldn't deprive anyone of gratuitous. Um, but, like, you know, there's nothing wrong with tits, alright? Or penises for that matter. I mean, you probably should deprive children of gratuitous sex. Yeah, well, not children, but, you know, teenagers. Um, like, I don't want to be controversial or anything. <laughs> super controversial. Uh, like, yeah, but like, come back to my point, that there's discretion to be exercised there by the person buying the game, but the caveat enter, you know, like, there's a big 18s on the side of the box. I mean, let's look at the box art there. Yeah, the box I art, mean, now, the box art isn't particularly violent. Now, there is one image, because I was looking at it, there is several, I'll put it this way, right, whereas there's nothing obscenely violent, like you, you would find in the game where people are getting shards of glass in the eye and things like the that. The glass is bad, 
the back of the box is certainly menacing and adult-themed enough for you if you are a parent to go, I probably shouldn't get this for my child. Like, for instance, creepy baby in porcelain-style hockey mask with a man behind him with a knife. Like, there's no part of this game, right? There's no part of this game that would make a parent think, yeah, probably not much violence in it. Probably yeah, there's not no much. part of that, that box that would make a parent think, oh, is this the new Mario game? In fact, in giant red letters on the back, it says, this is a brutal blood sport. <laughs> I really think it would. Yeah. Um, like, if we're to start kind of wrapping things up, um, <clears throat> I really have never for one second thought, like, obviously there are many, the multitude of reasons kind of why people turn to violence. Yeah. But I really... These kind of things don't wash with me. Like, when you hear the kind of, like, the... When you watch your true crime documentaries and stuff like that, yeah. like, you know, about your your famous serial killers and stuff like that, you're, you're never thinking, oh, he was a normal and well-adjusted boy, but then when he played them Grand Theft Autos, that's yeah, when he really went off the edge. If you look at it really, like, um, just casually observing, you know, in work, well, it should be in work on Wikipedia... Uh, browsing around, I did at one point going, you know, you read the Wikipedia page about the serial killers, like, mm-hmm. serial killers are a thing of the past, man. Well, like, I mean, in, I mean, in the sense that, you know, they aren't, we haven't reached, like, we didn't well, have okay, well, let's, put, well, well, let's go, well, uh, what is this, well, let's put the more contemporary one that people have tagged you against. Mass shootings. Mass shootings. Mass shootings. There's tons of mass shootings, but I mean, at the same time, like, there's people who go, I'm asking you to go over on tonight's here in dangerous territory. But look, look, okay, look, okay I'll, put it, I'll put it this way. There's um, a trilogy of documentaries that everybody should go and watch about this kind of thing. It's not video games. Uh, it's a t- trilogy of documentaries called Paradise Lost, where these two guys, uh, or these three guys, sorry, um, these three teenagers in the South, in America, in the 90s, are arrested and charged with the murder of uh, a couple of small boys. And the kind of the main reason they think these three guys did it is because they liked Metallica. And they liked that kind of music, so they must be satanic. So it's the same kind of thing with video games. Um, people are going to get tired with that. Um, like, you know what I mean? like these kind of mass shootings or murder-suicides. And can I just say, uh, as I once heard on a podcast before, my opinion on murder-suicides. If you're planning on murder-suicide, please start with the suicide. Uh, like, I think that if you're going to talk about what inspires or motivates people to end their lives in a way that, you know, they feel they need to take other people with them, yeah. I think people are going to be as inspired to do that by video games as they are by angry music, as they are by violent films, as they are by as the news, as they are by capturing the right, as they are by catching the right, as they are by the line at the DMV, as they are by the traffic, as yeah. they are by the fact that, you know, I think what it is is, and to boil it down, is that people want a simple answer. Um, they want the demon, they want the boogeyman to be able to point at yeah. And if we got rid of these, the everything's going to be okay. There were serial killers and there was mass murder a long time before there was video games. Jeffrey Dahmer didn't have GTA to play. And put it this way, Manhunt and its sequel coming out, because there is a Manhunt too. Uh, which I do have upstairs on PS2 as well. Banned here, I believe. Um, like, it didn't begin a wave of violence that we have never recovered from. I don't feel the need to People who weren't around when that game came out don't know about it anymore. 
Yeah, you know what I mean. It's a relic. It's you a didn't. Relic. You were around at the time, and you didn't know this. Yeah, it's it's a relic. Yeah, you know, and I mean, like, do what we do. Play it for you know, pick it up if it's going cheap. You have the old console to. It's, it's kind of done. It's certainly games. like apart from the, the if you can get over the controls, it's certainly worth playing. Like it is very highly rated on Metacritic. It's got a four out of five. Uh, like I said, it's on IGN's list of the must-play PlayStation games. Like, I mean, it is a very interesting game. It'll make you think about these issues. And by all means, like tweet us or whatever if if you have your own kind of views on this. Um, and I must actually, on the next episode, I must ask Mark how he feels about this, because I'm sure he has some very strong and similar opinions to us. But uh, I think what I'll do now is, now that we're in kind of near-Earth orbit, recording this kind of uh, not at the same time as the rest of the podcast, I think I'll hand this back to Dave and Brian to sign us off. Hey, thanks, Brian and Dave from the past. They're reviewing Manhunt. Uh, so it just le- it's just left to us now to wrap up the show. Terribly. <laughs> we have one little bit of business to get out of the way, Brian, and that's it's your turn for the first time on this show to give us a game of the week for uh, the Link to the Cast book club. So what game are we going to go away and play and come back and talk about next week? Uh, well, yeah, I'm quite fond of. Um, maybe not the later episodes in that franchise, but again, with that, some people contend about whether they like it or not. Um, not necessarily the most original kind of game, but certainly incredibly enjoyable. I found Dead Space. Okay, Dead Space it is. I had legitimately, for, even though you had told me earlier on, I had legitimately forgotten about I it. And you while you, I showed you, yeah, I know, yeah, was, 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 yeah. What's brilliant is like, yeah, and then as you're teasing it, I'm just like, God, what was it? <laughs> I was like, you had me on the dramatic hook there when you were teasing it. Anyway, so uh, with that out of the way, so we have Dead Space for next week. Um, but out of the way, I think it's just uh, up to me to. Uh, call a halt to proceedings here so as i said at the start of the podcast we're on itunes now so search for link to the cast there subscribe give us a five star rating throw in a little little cheeky comment if you want Uh, you can also follow us on twitter twitter.com forward slash link to the cast i am twitter.com forward slash dave ryan iv would you like a twitter plug here brian at this point yes please twitter.com forward slash cargan that's c-a-r-g-i-n 4107 am i correct Brilliant. We're also at facebook.com forward slash link to the cast, uh, twitch.tv forward slash link to the cast. YouTube are crap about giving you a proper URL until you reach like a hundred follower threshold or something like that. So, so fuck, that, that. fuck that noise. Go on to link to the cast.wordpress.com and you'll see some links to our YouTube stuff. Follow us on there so I don't have to give, I don't have to go through the pain of reading out that link to you. Um, Plus and yeah, the, the website, the link to the cast.wordpress.com is really where we kind of centralize all our activities. Um, we need new you'll chair. see. I know. Well, <laughs> you need a new chair. My chair is pretty cool. Um, so yeah, um, and then the final bit is our SoundCloud, which you should see in the link accompanying this podcast if you aren't listening on SoundCloud already. So uh, for me, Dave Ryan, and for Brian McNamara, this has been another successful edition of Link to the Cast. We have survived it. It is two in the morning now here. We are quite tired, and I'm kind of just drawing this out now because you are clearly in pain from sitting on that chair, and this is wildly entertaining. Um, me. Yes, so for me, Dave Ryan, and for Brian McNamara, uh, good night to you all. Good night.